Hello, welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl, I'm back with Matt, and despite what you may think, we actually like to have Tim on the podcast, so Tim's back with us. Uh, It'll be welcome. our little secret. <laughs> yeah, well, um, and then we're welcoming back for the second time, uh, Connor Harper, which we could refer to as Dr. Harper, but we will not. Uh, <laughs> All right, so I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> It was more fitting on the last podcast to refer to him as Dr. Harper, given that he was imparting uh, specialized knowledge. And this podcast, we're going to be discussing the basics of international travel. Connor has an experience. As opposed to mass spectrometry, which mass uh, listeners should yes. definitely check out. That's right. Yes, yes. If you want to, to know why uh, Connor is Dr. Harper, then you can go listen to that. Um, but... Uh, for the laymen out there that have come to uh, listen to international travel uh, advice um, and insights and anecdotes, that's what we'll be discussing today. And I believe all of us have traveled internationally. Um, I don't know how many of us have traveled internationally since the uh, pandemic. So I, well, actually I have once, but um, maybe there are some additional insights we can give about that as well. We're going to go ahead and get started here by talking about international travel preparation. So I'm going to start with a story that I – this was not my first international trip, but this is my first uh, international trip where I think I was in charge of my own itinerary, and I was going to Iceland. And um, something that they don't teach you – so this is the first thing off the top that if you're preparing for an international trip to be aware of is your passport expiration date is only in t- hypothetical. It's not real. Uh, your passport does not really expire when it says it expires. It expires some arbitrary number of months before that because most countries do not let you in uh, within like three to six months before your passport expires. Now, is that is that kind of like a practical thing, like they don't want to let you in and then have your passport expire while you're in the country? Exactly. Yep. Oh. And so that was something I had not been aware of. And uh, so I was um, I was <laughs> something like five days pre-trip. I thought I was all set. And, and for whatever reason, I felt like I needed to double check to make sure I didn't need a visa. And we'll talk about visas a little bit more in a second. But I, I, went, I had already checked uh, Iceland as far as their, their rules of with Americans coming and visiting. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to double check, got, got on, was reading, and I one, some note, just a little note on, on some travel site said, make sure your expiration date is more than, you know, I don't remember what it is now for Iceland, but, you know, four months out. And I picked up my passport and expired in three months. And I thought, well, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> because this is, I, I, my travel, my plane's booked, I've got, I'm supposed to be in Iceland in like five days. And this is for a uh, academic conference. And so luckily I lived in San Diego and I could scramble. I could make this happen. And I did. So um, getting a passport is not particularly challenging, but except the, the time frame involved can be a bit uh, longer than what you would hope. Um, and so uh, if you have to go to the post office uh, get things signed and what all those other things um, 
and then ship it off to the government and wait for it to come back, you're probably, I mean, it depends on the time of year and I think the backlog that they currently have, but uh, very frequently you need to plan on up like six weeks or or two months. Well, and um, I mean, this your mileage may vary depending on what country you find yourself in. We're obviously that's talking that's from true. an American perspective. Yes, I am spe- speaking from an American perspective. It is yes, that's a good insight. We do have listeners all over the world, so p- potentially your government is more or less effective at issuing passports. Um, in the United States, uh, yeah, there, it's it's weeks and weeks, months uh, out usually for a normal passport. About um, what was I think it was eight weeks we were told to expect normal processing okay wow. and and you can pay for expedited um and but even expedited if you have to ship it you're probably talking two weeks 10 days i'm not entirely sure it's been a while um but in my case because i could go into the passport office so that's if you're in a situation where you need a passport asap like in two days um and you happen to live close to a passport office um, and there are a couple in California. I think there's a, a number uh, just in the big cities, as you can imagine. You can go in there and get it done real quick. So I, I got mine done in two days. Uh, you need to get your, your photo. You need to obviously do your online app, your, your applications, fill those out, and then you can take those in and get paid uh, and pay for uh, kind of a rush fee. But in my case, it was much cheaper than not going to Iceland. So. <laughs> So would this be travel tip number one is live in San Diego, San Francisco, or New York? <laughs> exactly. Yes. So uh, I think travel tip number one is in general, plan ahead around getting your documentation in order. Right. And, oh, and as you mentioned, the passport is not the only document. Correct. Correct. And so we'll talk about visas now. But, uh, but yeah, as far as your passport goes, Make sure that if you've had a passport for a while, you're aware of when it expires and how soon before it expires, you're actually uh, allowed, you know, how soon before it expires, you actually have to renew it. So, okay, visas. Um, Now, I think, Tim, you you, uh, went to China once or twice. You need a visa to go to China, right? Yes. Also Uh, a MasterCard if you got one. I'm just kidding. But yes, you need a visa. Okay. Tell us what that process was for you. Um, oh, boy. It's been a while. Um, so you have to, I mean, you have to have your, get your passport and all that. And then you have to, I think it mostly involves, like, you have to fill out paperwork and give people money. By which I mean, you know, the you have to, like, um, fill, it's just some application and you, fill it out and you pay like, I, I think it was like $500 or something. It was a lot of money, like 300 maybe or 400. It, it's been like more than a decade, I think, since I've done it. So um, trying to remember, but it was mostly just money and, and more paperwork and who high right. kind of like right. you guys are talking about it, that, that go back and forth waiting process. So. Yeah. So for the you layman, want to talk yeah. about what a visa is. Yeah, I was going to give it the definition, but I, for the layman, I mean, it really is what Tim said. It, it's just more paperwork. Um, and more, for the the specific need of, of a visa. So it's a main difference between a visa and a passport. A visa is an uh, an endorsement placed within a passport that grants the holder official permission to enter, leave, or stay in the country for a specified time period. Um, and so there are different types of visas. So you can have a tourist visa. 
a student visa, a work and transit visa. Um, and so it's a, a just things that worked out between different governments um, that allow a particular status of people to, to go into that country. Um, and obviously there are fees involved. Um, and so uh, your country, whatever country you live in, has that arrangement and they have a fee associated with uh, issuing that uh, endorsement to you. And so that is what you have to get. And then you put that inside your passport. Your passport is just your generic travel document to go uh, hypothetically to any country. Uh, once again, depending on what, what the arrangement of your government is with the country that you're wanting to, to visit. And so uh, if some countries have uh, pretty open uh, arrangements as far as if you just have a passport, you're good to go as a, as a tourist, at least. Right. If you just want to up and travel to from the United States to England, you just need your passport uh, inside a certain time frame. Now, if you're going to stay there for you know, six months, then that's when you're talking more like a work visa or, or some other um, document that, that gives you the right to stay there longer. Um, and so, uh, Matt, did you have additional inf yeah, insights? It's kind visas? of a way to think about passports and visas. Passports are things issued by your government saying that this person is one of our citizens and we think they should be able to travel internationally. A visa is issued by the government that you are visiting saying, yeah, we'll let you in under these circumstances, be it student, worker, general tourist, whatever. So right. sometimes governments work things out where they say, you know what, our people can travel between our countries and they don't need visas or special documents. Sometimes they do. It all depends. So that would be kind of step number two of your preparation after you've made sure that your passport is good to go so that your government will claim you as a citizen while you travel abroad. Uh, make sure that any appropriate visa arrangements are in order if you need them so that the visiting government will actually let you in. Yeah. Yeah. These are things you, uh, yeah, like I said, you want to have all of your ducks in an, uh, in, a, in order here because, um, having issues with your documents can get you sent home. So, uh, or stranded in airline terminals. Right. Yeah. And, and now you can speak from experience. Even if you have all your ducks in a row, there are some countries where they don't allow for animals, um, to, to come in with you. So just okay, be Okay. That was, a. <laughs> So it was an attempt, you know. Hey, I'm just trying to make this accessible to our really certain layman owning listeners. I mean, that's right. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so um, yeah, I, depending on the length of stay and the country that you're visiting, those are the things you need to look up. And there are these things are accessible. Uh, I'm sure the, the United States government has uh, a, a site where you can look up uh, any any of your government sites, whatever country you live in probably has uh, a, web, a government website where you can look up the, the documents that you need in order to travel or stay or work in a different country. So that's worth looking into um, well in advance. Don't buy your tickets first. Uh, so. Right. so what's next? All right. So now that's the boring part and the paperworky part and all that kind of stuff. The funner part of international travel is is the uh, is what you think of when you think of international travel, which is uh, traveling. 
the traveling exactly so let's start with uh the 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 mode of transportation so most people don't boat from one country to another at least not in the united states most countries i'm familiar with um you're probably traveling either by uh train a car or by by and large would be uh by uh, airplane so um now first let's talk uh train travel that's mostly uh, my limited experience with train travel uh, internationally is uh, we rode the Channel when I was a teenager, um, and that's between Paris, France to London, England. Um, and so the uh, that's an international train, and so you do need uh, documentation there and stuff like that. But the, the train, obviously, train travel inside of Europe is pretty prevalent, and so that's something that uh, you can look into and, and figure out and, and that's once again you all these the considerations that come with other travel uh, as far as um uh, are there what, what <laughs> the pros and cons of uh, are you saving money is it going to take longer um what are the conditions inside this tra- mode of transportation are you going to be cramped um but also uh you know the uh a, a number of people that are going with you so uh, lots of considerations as to mode of transportation, uh, but the car is going to be the cheapest for, if you can do so in a relatively small amount of time. I'm not driving from here to uh, Chile, for example, um, even though I maybe technically could. Um, so it would certainly be an adventure. <laughs> but it would, I'm thinking yeah. extended learn it from a layman travel blog, you know. Here to Chile, be like <laughs> project. One thing, yes, uh, no. How about no? Um, <laughs> one thing, do uh, so. Once again, an anecdote here. So that hopefully, this is gonna, helps you give some insight into traveling in a car from one country to another. I, uh, my family and I, uh, went to Mexico last year, and we we live in San Diego, so we're not. I mean, it's not exactly a huge trip to to go across the border to Mexico, and we went down to. Um, uh, it's called uh, Rocky Point, uh, Puerto Penesco, uh, and um, traveling there was no big deal. Um, and the, on the way into Mexico, there was no line. Everything was nice and easy um, and no problems. Uh, on the way back, there's a few things to consider, at least in the United States. Um the ability to get uh, directions, accurate directions on something like a Google Maps or a Waze app is kind of a, these days just kind of you just expect that it's going to work and it's going to work correctly. Um, coming back was far more of an adventure. Um, the road quality was very low. Uh, the we had to drive. Uh, I, I've never had worse driving conditions in my life. Some of the road was covered with sand dunes. Uh, there were potholes big enough that I, I could have broken in an axle uh, in, of the vehicle we were driving in, in this pot. I mean, you, it, it's not one of the potholes you hit and keep driving. It's uh, you hit it and you're done. Um, your car is done. You've probably injured yourself. Uh, it's like getting in a car accident. So that was, then there were, those were landmines all over the road for probably about an hour. Um, 
And then when you got close to the border, there was massive lines and a lack of good uh, directions. And so we both uh, eventually we ended up coming in in the wrong lane, getting detained at the border and um, <laughs> sitting in the uh, drug uh, search center for like an hour. Well, they figured out that actually this car full of uh, five children packed full of stuff uh, that you use at the beach is not just a front for drugs. We just, as they uh, had, as we explained to them before, we're actually just come, uh, gotten the wrong lane because of bad directions, which uh, parenthetically, they uh, border people all knew about. They all knew that you got the bad uh, wrong directions coming back uh, through that. Uh, port of entry into the United States, but nobody had done anything about it. And so they just had probably 50 cars, I think they said, a day that came in the wrong entry. Um, so the moral of this story is don't trust Google Maps. Uh, actual moral of the story is uh, <laughs> don't drive. Yeah. The, the moral no, of the story. <laughs> moral of the story was I've contacted Google a couple times about that route and said, you can't route people this way. <laughs> um, well, it's um, it, in general, you want to carefully plan your transportation, whatever it is, be it yep. by car, plane, train, whatever. Uh, another good thing that helps is if you can talk to someone who's gone through that same route before. Yes, that is very insightful because I, my brother-in-law then went a couple months after we did and I explained to him exactly how to do it. So, um, yes, if you ha if you can get in contact with someone that's traveled to the country that you're traveling and the mode that they've traveled, they can probably give you some insight. Um, and there are websites uh, and, you know, dedicated to travel, um, people who just get together and rave about how they like traveling and things to watch out there. Turns out the Internet is full of specialty groups for all kinds of stuff so you can uh you can find a lot of insights through those if you don't know anyone personally who's been wherever it is that you're going yep yeah exactly so uh, obviously if you're considering international travel i'm sure you've done some of this research but uh but yeah hopefully some of these anecdotes and some of these things will talk, uh, will maybe key something off in your uh, and help you do some research that will avoid circumstances like the one that I uh, encountered there in Mexico. So if you're driving, there is a lot to consider um, because driving across a country, uh, a border of a country, all of a sudden you're, you've got different traffic laws, you've got different licensing laws. Um, so there's a lot to consider and different insurance laws, which is once again, something you have to consider if you're driving across um, the border uh, because Turns out your car insurance probably ends at the border. Um, so make sure that you're aware of all of those considerations. Um, okay, now flying. Now, this is something everyone's had experience with on this podcast. Uh, but I'm going to give one anecdote here quickly, and then uh, anyone else, Tim, Connor, or Matt, if you have anything that you want to uh, give insights in either into airports or the actual plane flight or or how to arrange them, uh, go ahead. But so I've already said I flew to Iceland here. This was a number of years ago. But um, something that I became aware of when I was flying to Iceland is Iceland Air uh, was at the time actually pretty affordable. Now, I haven't done pricing as far as flying the Iceland Air recently, but uh, it was a pretty affordable airline. 
And what they offer is if you fly to Europe, let's say you're flying from the United States to Europe, uh, any of the destinations that Icelander flies to, which is pretty much any of the destinations that you'd normally expect, uh, any of the big capitals in, in, uh, in Europe, um, you can add a layover in Iceland for free, just whatever the price it would actually be to fly to uh, that your, your final destination. You can lay over in Iceland for up to seven days without any additional cost. So if you want to see Iceland, they're essentially letting you do it at no additional cost, which is pretty cool, uh, given that it kind of the way that you know, flights going from the United States to Europe generally the flight path on the globe generally takes you up that way anyway it's not a lot longer as far as, far as the actual time in the air and then you can spend a couple of days going and seeing um, all of the awesome things that you uh, have heard about in Iceland uh, or seen in the um, secret life of Mitty Walter Mitty that was the movie anyway um, so with that plug for visiting Iceland <laughs> exactly uh, just the consideration is, is look into those types of things. If, if you have another stop that you want to make um, on the way or to your destination or, or some, just look for those types of perks that some countries might offer or, ice, uh, or airlines. Matt, did you have other airline tips or Tim? Or uh, real quick, we to let our ahead, listeners Tim. know this uh, podcast has not been sponsored by the Iceland <laughs> Tourist Association. <laughs> They're good people, though. Good no, people. Certainly not. <laughs> no, just uh, thoughts on international air travel, just air travel in general. Be courteous. Try not to make waves. Um, don't just follow instructions and and don't uh, don't be needy. Do do the preparation you need to beforehand. If you need to ask for help, be polite, be courteous about asking for help, and people will generally help you. Um, but yeah, keep in mind that when you're traveling, this goes for any mode of travel, at some level, you do represent the country that you're coming from. So in general, we want to make favorable impressions. And, and that Great. goes for you from wherever you're from to wherever you're going. Yes. Uh, I have another story about that, but I'll let Tim go ahead. Well, I was just going to plug in a little, a little bit of experiential knowledge of mine. The uh, jet lag is something that, if depending on how far you travel, you might encounter. Um, but it, you know, as the name suggests, it happens when you travel by air because you're you're uh, throwing your body clock out of whack with the time zone that you're into. Your body doesn't just immediately adjust. It's um, in my experience. It's more pronounced going traveling from east to west than from west to east. So when I would, for example, fly from the United States to China, um, I would find myself when I got to China, you know, just kind of go through the rest of that day. And then come seven o'clock in the evening, you, know, you just be really tired and like really tired. And you just would need to go to sleep or whatever. Um, and then after a day or two, that kind of wears off and you're adjusted to the time. Uh, flying um, east to west, though, returning from China, it was, uh, it was the strangest sensation because your, your body doesn't adjust. And so you find yourself waking up fully awake and alert at, you know, four in the morning and um, 
which is not something that I've ever been used to. But um, so you might just be prepared for that and keep that in mind. If you're if you're traveling a long distance, you're arriving at your destination in the evening. You're probably not going to want to plan on a late night of partying and shopping or sightseeing or anything like that. You're you're going to need some crash time. So work that into your to your plans. It's not safe or healthy to try to push your your body too far. Though, uh, if you're flying on a tight time frame. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. <laughs> I, uh, the time I flew to Iceland, um, I went directly from the airport to a like five-hour bus tour, which was brutal but um, necessary. Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, I I think Tim kind of had it. If you can plan against or plan to not have that happen, that is favorable. So. Quite, but you know, we're, it, it all depends on what your uh, what your schedules are able to support. Yeah. Also, so. oh, sorry. I'll I'll just put in a quick note with that. I mean, obviously, sometimes you're you're limited, but one this isn't a trick. But if you if you know someone in the place you're traveling to, that's super cool. So um, if you happen to know someone like a like you know, when I went to China, I went because my parents were living there and it is a totally different experience to go there be able to stay at a home you've got people who know their way around and um you know it, it's much in in my mind a much better experience than you go there and you're in a city an unfamiliar city you don't know anyone you have to find your own hotel you have to find your own way around or pay a, a you know a travel company to do it for you so if you if you know lots of people and then um, who live abroad, then take advantage while they're living there and uh, you know, go visit them. Which is People not like to them. say that don't travel if you don't know anybody, but it's just, you know, that's part of your planning. Yeah, exactly. Well, so can I say something about uh, yeah, travel and, and planning and what the lack of planning can get for you? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so um, for uh, honeymoon, my wife and I, traveled to Japan because she's originally from from Japan was born there and wanted to visit her grandmother and then do some sightseeing Um, and we made perhaps a you know somewhat immature decision to decide like oh yeah mother-in-law has a connection with somebody at at Delta Airlines they can get you on these things called buddy passes which is kind of like a standby travel and if there's an ever a time to not do international uh, standby <laughs> travel, it's when you're also going international. So, fun story was on the way out, we ended up spending one day kind of just waiting in the airport for there to be open tickets, right? From that time, Salt Lake City to, to Seattle, and then Seattle to Tokyo. Um, and, uh, you know, we waited an extra day, but we got to Seattle, and they're like, yeah, we'll get you on the flight tomorrow. And we're like, okay, look, I, you know, one night over in Seattle after a day in the airport. That's kind of worth the savings, right? It's much less expensive to travel this way. And we've come to find that the seats that were open on the flight over to Japan, which is a you know nice 14, 15 hour flight, were uh, were business class, no less. So oh, wow. got to fly in style. Um, unfortunately, the food in business class is a little uh, posh and was apparently undercooked because it made my wife terribly ill. Um, <laughs> 
and so she got very sick um, on on the flight over. We had to rush to her grandmother's house and cancel a bunch of plans. And anyways, it was quite an improvisation at that point. But the worst part of all, considering travel, is that again, standby tickets aren't guaranteed, and you better have a backup plan if it doesn't work out. So on the way home, it was a busy travel season in Japan. It's a whole bone at the time where they go to visit uh, ancestors' graves. Um, it's late in the summer, which is when also we were visiting, and uh, yeah, we uh, uh, were unable to get a, a, a standby flight um, for two or three days, and ultimately I just had to pony up and buy real flights day of, which was oh, um, that's expensive, very expensive, and ultimately uh, essentially deleted all the savings we had made from going on standby. Oh boy. It's all right. said, I, I don't regret the trip. It was, you know, very memorable. Got to meet my wife's grandmother and um, you know, speak Japanese with her and you know get get approved to be part of, you know, the family. <laughs> awesome. But sure. Looking back, I would have definitely uh, taken things a little more into my own hands. Right. And, right. And, and just guaranteeing that things would work out, right? Yeah. Standby is not the way to go. In the United <laughs> States, I don't know, maybe gets it, but internationally, I, it's just that much more stressful oh. and difficult to deal with. Yeah, I, and and addendum to that. So I, I have a friend of mine, and and the, the audience knows him as well, Johnny, um, who's been on the podcast a number of times. Uh, he his wife uh, is the daughter of a Delta pilot. And so uh, right after they got married and a number of times thereafter, they also did the standby type thing to, to travel because she flew for free that way. And, and then they got some massive discount otherwise. But it was a nightmare um, in a lot of cases and especially and, and especially when they had children. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yes, um, that's a good insight. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. Mentioned too on the the way home, we almost got a ticket, but they only had one ticket available. Mm. So they asked if I wanted to go without my wife. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right, thank you. I'll stay with my wife I had just married. Right, a wonderful way to end the honeymoon. See you later, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. So that could take us to uh, point number four. and and I'm kind of assuming what a point number four is here, but financial planning. Yes, quite. Yeah, and there's so a lot to consider. Do that. Uh, yes. Different things to think about. I mean, offhand, where are you going to stay and how much is it going to cost? Where are you going to eat? How much is that going to cost? What is the travel expenses going to look like and all of the taxes associated with it? What are you doing for local transportation? Uh, how often are you going to be traveling from one point to another when you're at your destination? And are you going to use taxis, public transport, um, you know, camel caravan? Uh, I mean, it's it's all, all these things uh, for all these costs. And then what are your contingencies? Um, and, and this is a, a key part to it. If your flight gets canceled, what's your backup plan? What are you going to do to get back home if the standby flight doesn't come through because you didn't take Connor's advice? 
or um, you know what do you do if your wallet is lost do you know where to go do you know who to get help from That's in country yep. and, yeah. and i'll add to that Matt, uh, matt's comment on, on finances you always assume it's going to cost more than you plan on it costing I, I don't think I've ever been on a trip where I'm like, wow, that was cheaper than we expected. Just like, <laughs> then it cost more. So you want to plan plenty of buffer room. Um, right. Also, uh, on canceling your credit card because while, while we're on that topic, uh, or or actually you can notify your your bank or your credit card ahead of time because I've had that happen where we, we travel. You use your credit card once, it goes through, but then after that it's it's rejected because it looks to the financial institution like your card's been stolen because you got all of your transactions in one area, then all of a sudden it's in a totally different place. And right. so as a matter of precaution, they'll cancel it. So you need to let your um, financial institution know ahead of time, hey, we're, you know, we're traveling. And they're, and they're, it's, it's pretty easy to do. It's just a phone call. I'm going to be traveling at these locations, probably starting on this state. Give them a range in case you're, you're, travel plans change if you need to stay an extra few days uh you don't want to have your card shut off on you yeah and and sometimes and i think at least in major credit cards nowadays you can even do it just on the website you just log into your portal and uh and put in your travel dates and uh and so you can update that as well if you have internet access uh whatever country you're visiting but which um, which takes me to uh i don't know if you want to spend too much more time on that one but uh, well, just one, another one, point uh, i wanted to talk about was security so we'll come back to that yes, when we talk about yes. that we'll talk go about ahead. security in a second another just as far as finance uh, finances go uh, it, once again just be fully aware and and uh, and open eyed about all the, your your options and and what flexibility you have in the trip and what flexibility you do not have in the trip right so with the anecdote that Connor shared as far as like, okay, well, it's just he and his wife, they're traveling without a particular timeline, but okay, but after three days of waiting for a, uh, uh, you know, a standby flight coming back, okay, well, we're out of options now. So yeah. if you're looking, what? The case. I had to return to, to right. get back into school. So it was. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> right. At some point you run out of your, your contingencies, you know, but um, so, but if you're looking to alternative ways to save money, there are some. And once again, it's just a question of risk tolerance um, and uh, and backup plans. So um, recently, my wife and I went to Hawaii, and um, we were going to get a car, uh, rent a car there. And so we looked into the traditional car rental agencies and and what the prices were. And then um, one that I wasn't familiar with, but uh, is pretty well established, is the Turo. And that's kind of your Airbnb for for cars, um, and uh, and so that was the first time I I had really interacted with it. I think I'd seen it before, but I hadn't done it. And so I got on, and and obviously in that scenario you don't have a company backing it as much. Uh, you know, these are individually owned cars that are offering them up once again, kind of in the Airbnb style. Where you can go and and pick a car and you pay them. And and the website and Tur- the Turo company does you know its best to oversee this, but. Uh, so I looked into that and, and it was going to save us, it was a 50% savings um, over a traditional car rental place. And so I thought, well, this is ideal. And because it's just me and my wife and we have family members that live in Hawaii, if this doesn't work out, we'll have, you know, there are 
backups here that that, that we can make work um, and it were, ended up working out just fine uh, the car was great and exactly what we needed for the, the time frame so if you're looking into non-traditional ways to, to you know if you're staying in airbnb somewhere maybe that's cheaper than a hotel but is it in a safe location is that uh, is that a big consideration if it's you traveling with a bunch of ch children it probably is a consideration um so uh if you're trying to save money and considering finances and, and uh you know consider what the risks are and what the are they worth the uh the reward that you're getting for uh, financially okay matt security yeah okay um so with all of that yeah security is another is is just a, a major factor that you want to plan for and that frequently gets neglected where we think uh things will be just fine just like at home well when you travel things aren't like at home um and it's just something to be aware of know the situation in the place that you're going to know the types of crimes that do and don't happen uh know who you would go to for help if something were to happen to you um there's there's just a bunch of things like that that you want to be aware of and when you're talking about you know these types of deals um make sure that you've done some research from some credible sources on whether or not the airbnb style accommodations the turos the, uh, you know their local variants of those are reputable and safe to use uh, yeah for sure uh, th so that that's kind of what i would say in the planning stage most countries uh have a state department of some kind and most of those state departments will kind of tell you what the conditions are in all the different countries that you may want to visit in terms of how hostile or friendly is your reception going to be what types of things should you need to work out or watch out for specifically? So make use of those kind of government resources that are offered to you. Um, now, once you get over there, do be security conscious. Be aware of uh, your of your surroundings. Be aware of your valuables and how conspicuous or inconspicuous you're carrying them. Um, one of the big things that you can do is don't try to stand out uh if you are in another country maybe don't wear the t-shirt that has your native flag on it uh, it's it's something <laughs> that can in some parts of the world just say i'm foreign easy to exploit and therefore a target right. uh, be aware of that sort of thing in general it's a good idea to travel in a group uh, again this is going to depend a little bit on um on the situation in the country that you're going to some places are more or less safe than others uh, for different people or groups or whatever be aware of that uh, and, and then going finally on that. Sorry, oh, sorry go ahead sure. uh, i was just oh, going to have just... one more point and then i'll i'll let you add yours um, yeah, be aware of financial security in the place that you want to go as well you know, if you're going to be using your credit card to pay for everything, well, maybe make sure that the credit cards are actually secure in the place that you're going. Make sure that people actually accept credit cards over there. Uh, different places are vulnerable to different types of exploits. 
And just be aware of that. Uh, be aware of how to protect yourself, your finances, and your identity. Be aware of what people can and cannot ask you for. Um, and have a backup plan when it comes to your finances. If your if your credit cards are stolen or compromised, do you know where the embassy is so that you can get some kind of help? Uh, just those types of things. And I would I'll, I'll turn it over to Tim from there. Uh, and just kind of along those lines, it just when you travel, uh, plan on being a mark. You're you're just the fact that you're walking out of the international terminal of the airport and may you know may or may not look like a local uh there are people who specialize in targeting and and exploiting uh, tourists and travelers and they they'll take advantage of of you know every aspect of of your ignorance about the you know the the place you're in um they'll and and like matt said don't try to stand out uh, you want to even if you have no idea where you're going, uh, walk with confidence. Don't kind of stand looking around and kind of ambling. At, you know, you walk with confidence to where where you're going. On this, because the people will actually kind of, you, you can actually watch this if you go to a uh, kind of a, a junction point. Um, but you know, there there are these hucksters in a lot of places that will. And they're, they're very good. They'll come up to you and they'll strike up a conversation and they'll start asking you questions. And if you just approach it like a normal conversation, then uh, pretty soon they're going to be steering you towards whatever their scheme is. Um, so you, you kind of have to learn. And and for me, I one of my weaknesses in a case like this is I try to be friendly, um, which is, I guess, not really a weakness. But. You, just as a traveler, you have to learn sometimes to be firm, and a firm no will will get you out of a lot of trouble. And I've I've been approached in multiple countries by these people who say, "Oh yeah, yeah, you're, we're we were look, we're we're waiting for you. You're the you know," um, and and they'll just straight up lie to you and say, "Oh yeah, we're the the uh, the the shuttle company that you that you're waiting on or that you're looking for," and and, and they're not. And you have to be really careful um this is true also when you're when you're um, going to any tourist destination a shop a market uh any place where any kind of negotiating is going on if, if you are a traveler then <laughs> the, the fact that you're traveling internationally means that you probably have money or at least enough money to travel and therefore you're a um you're a mark. Um, there's people going to try to make money off of you. I, I remember once uh, in China, there was this market that uh, kind of an outdoor market selling all sorts of um, art, wear and, and crafts and, and all sorts of stuff. It was a really cool place, a lot of fun. And I remember once uh, trying to haggle with this, this just old guy and they had these cute little toys that I was going to take to my, my little sisters and, you know, just these cheap little things. And he was haggling me up and I was haggling him down. And I, the, the lady in the stall next to him was just laughing because this guy was just taking me for a ride. He, he knew exactly what he was doing and I did not. Um, so just be, be aware of that. Uh, a lot of times tourists just kind of uh, stumble into it and think, oh, I guess that's a good price, and you're working in a foreign currency, and you don't know how much you're really paying, and the other person is awfully confident, and and just you know. So uh, again, my my tip is 
be prepared to say no firmly. Walk away, and when they grab you, when they call you back, you, you're firm, and uh, don't don't let them uh, take advantage of you. Let them know that Liam Neeson is your father and he has a special set of skills. That's right. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So there's a, a bunch. Yeah, we could we could spend even more time on security and, and anecdotally, uh, I've seen all of these things uh, in some of my trips, but I wanted to hit a couple more before we uh, wrapped up here. One is language. Um, so. In a day of uh, expecting people to speak English, uh, um, at least in, from the United States perspective, often when we go to international uh, languages, the last thing we consider, uh, it's a little bit presumptuous and uh, a bit uh, rude to just assume that everyone should have to speak your language. Um, and if English is your language, uh, then uh, you... Obviously, if you're going to Europe, there's a high probability that people there speak English, um, obviously, depending on the particular destination in Europe. If you go to the Netherlands, they probably speak better English than you do. Um, but, uh, you know, and I, so when my trip to Iceland, I, I felt really bad. Generally, I try to learn at least a few phrases and something um, that I can try to interact with when I go to a new country. I didn't have the time I went to Iceland. And so I, well, my first interaction with a, a uh, local, I was going up to buy something uh, um, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, English. And, and she replied, yes, of course I speak English. <laughs> uh, right. So um, once again, depending on your destinations, good chance that, that they'll, they'll speak uh, English, assuming you know English as well and you're listening to this podcast. So I assume that you do. Um, but it is nice. And I think worthwhile to, to learn at least uh, some phrases some some uh, basic uh hopefully useful phrases that will help you get uh, for example donde esta el baño uh so uh you know Where's just my banjo <laughs> yes exactly uh so um you know i i went to china actually with tim once uh, and I don't know whose genius idea it was to set us up with a tour guide that only spoke Chinese, but um, <laughs> it was somebody's genius idea. And uh, this is relying then on me, so me and my wife, my parents, and Tim going on with this uh, Chinese-speaking tourist uh, tour guide, and I was the only one that had any Chinese. Uh, I think uh, training at that point, Tim can offend you very quickly, but was excellent. <laughs> and so, uh, luckily, I had taken a couple semesters worth of Chinese, so I could I could get us around mostly. Um, but uh, you know, if you're going to um, you know a, a foreign country, be at least aware and courteous enough to say I at least learn to say I don't speak Spanish in Spanish. Okay, um, so uh, I think a little bit of time uh, with uh, spending uh, uh, an hour or two on the language is worthwhile if you're going international. Um, we expect Google Translate or something like that to save the day, but um, reality is I think uh, the personal touch and the humanity shows that, that you've uh, tried at least to learn a few phrases or words or whatever they uh, uh, is generally appreciated. 
um, even if they then speak to you in English, uh, probably without an accent, if you're going to anywhere in the Scandinavian region. Okay. Um, and then the last thing, uh, Matt, I kind of already touched on it, but just cash versus credit. Um, in most of the United States, and obviously all, all across the world these days, we expect uh, credit cards to be accepted, and in most places they are, but do be aware of uh, the idea that um, maybe you need cash, and so then you have to look at the exchange rate, um, and you know, what's the best way to get your money changed. Um, if you need to go to an ATM there, can what, the, what are the fees associated with that? Um, so there's, uh, and and I've, I've actually heard the flip recently. My aunt, who uh, lived, that just moved away from Hawaii, was telling me that I guess in certain areas in China, they are completely cashless. You can't actually use cash anywhere. Um, and that is, that would be a whole different set of uh, issues if you hadn't prepared for that. So um, be aware of the customs, the financial situation you're going to be in as far as whether, whether or not they're going to be requiring uh, cash or credit cards, uh, debit cards, whatever it might be. Um, so I think that will be pretty much all of the, uh, the international advice that I have. So any final anecdotes, Connor? I have, have one. So well, last thing you have to do after international travel is, you know, get back to your country. And as I mentioned, I already had trouble with that once. Um, that wasn't the only trouble, just getting an airplane. Uh, the other thing was, is in a previous uh, trip to Japan, I had made the mistake of, you know, trying to bring home a few snacks and mistakenly brought some uh, curry mix that had contained, you know, like beef powder or beef, like, extract. And, you know, so somebody at the L.A. airport at that time saw that and was like, oh, sorry, that's not OK. And, and you know, just put it in the trash. And I thought, OK, that's, that. you know, it's unfortunate, but that's, you know, how it goes. Right. I wasn't particularly broken up about it. It was sure. something that cost a few bucks. But unfortunately, it would seem that put me on some kind of list. <laughs> <laughs> so the next time I came returning from Japan with my wife after this stressful experience and not being able to get a flight back, uh, I found myself at the immigration site and was told after stepping up and showing my passport, took my passport and said, just go step over there, not, not through the line, you know, over there, meaning not past the barrier and just told me to wait there um, without little, little or no explanation. <laughs> that was a good sign. I sat there nervously, and it was like 10 minutes. My wife had gone through without any issue and was waiting, and she's like, ma'am, you can't wait there. Um, I made her move along, so I was kind of like, oh, no, like we're trying to catch another flight. You know, what are we going to do? Um, Meanwhile, Connor's replaying all the Jason Bourne movies in his head. <laughs> More like I was, uh, you know, I, then I tried to address the, you know, what I thought was a, the nice man at the customs desk, who I immediately learned was not a very nice man. <laughs> <laughs> he used to uh, shout at me in no, no uncertain terms. Sir, get over there. Stay where I told you. And though I'd only taken about one step from where I was at. Um, anyways, I I waited for another... 10 minutes and finally after being there for 20 minutes no idea what was going on somebody came retrieved me 
it's like, sorry, we're going to just need to take you through another line. Uh, and uh, going to have to just go through a special screening, which mostly just consists of him like, can I open your bag? And I was like, sure. Like, there's nothing of... Looking for that beef broth or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, he searched me. I went through my own metal detector just with my own security guards and ultimately ended up getting through all the lines at about the same time as my wife and meeting her on the other side. Yeah. More of like the story is don't know, get on the list. Don't get on the list <laughs> and think carefully about what you're putting in your suitcase. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That that is kind of a point that we didn't talk about. Um, know the like restrictions on agricultural imports and exports. That snack that you have may not be allowed. Yeah, and you know it may not even be things that you think are particularly you know threatening or you know it's not like I was taking some exotic fruit or anything, right? It was uh, curry by right. the exact same brand in the United States, but you cannot transport it into the United States. <laughs> As it turns yeah. out, or at least at that moment in time. So I'd say that's my, my little an- anecdote about international travel is, you know, be mindful of uh, your your packing and, and what uh, immigration is, because often those can be some pretty uh, serious people, um, right. and you do not want to uh, uh, run afoul of immigration, because, you know, it's nice to be able to, you know, return home. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. All right. Thanks, Connor. Tim? Any... Uh, last bit, uh, just kind of a, a more philosophical one. Um, it, don't don't get caught up in the, the tourist stuff uh, wherever you go. I know that you're going there to see the sites and that kind of thing, but remember that the real, um, the best thing about any place you go is the people. Um, get to you know try to interact with the people get to to know the people uh the real that's when travel is really fun when you get to meet and actually make a friend from a whole different place of the world with a whole different culture and perspective um that that's worth a whole lot of stops at the world's giants most you know largest ball of yarn or whatever uh yes i'm sure people are traveling internationally to check out the ball of yarn <laughs> i never know you don't even know. <laughs> All right. Okay. Which is well. Sponsorship from the world's largest ball of yarn. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh, yes. Well, we didn't need their money or their yarn. Um, okay. Well, I think that will take us to the end of this podcast. So hopefully, uh, if you didn't uh, have some of these things in your mind before, you can look into it. Uh, do, do the requisite research before going international and um, hopefully we've helped you avoid some um, some potential, uh, potentially uh, uncomfortable or inconvenient experiences so this is uh, we do want to encourage you to travel internationally though also because it does open your mind like Tim said you, the whole world of people out there people living different cultures and customs uh, and so you know be when you travel internationally be aware of those try to learn them try to uh, you know like Matt said, don't don't stick out um, not only for your security, but also just to try to you know experience what other people see and and experience in other countries. So, um, but all of these uh, things said, um, go have a good trip if you're are traveling internationally soon, and uh, join us back for the next podcast. And now we'll each sign out in a different language. Uh, Dotsins.
Adios. Laura Vedere. I should go with Sayonara. Says the long goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> long goodbye.